0: Can you really increase revenue without selling more? How cool would that be if you could, right? Today's guest, Ken Wentworth, also known as Mr. Biz, says, yes, you can. And when we come back, we're going to find out what the secret is. Stay tuned.
1: This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line.
0: Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel Kelchner, and today I'm delighted to welcome Ken Wentworth, who's also known as Mr. Biz. He's a strategic business partner who helps business owners run their companies more profitably and more efficiently, using what he learned while climbing to the top 3% at a Fortune 15 company and breaking six world records. Boom. How's that for some business chops? And that's not all. Ken is also an accomplished author of several books How to Be a Cash Flow Pro. That's his guide to crushing business owner insomnia. And Pathways to Profit. His guide to running your business like a boss. Plus, he's the host of the award winning Mr. Biz Radio, which airs for 30 hours each week across different networks. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot. Welcome to Business Confidential now, Ken.
1: Hey, Hannah, thanks for having me. Um, wow, what an introduction. I appreciate the uh, the glowing terms and all that stuff. I hope I can live up to, uh, to that introduction.
0: <laughs> That's on you, Ken. <laughs> I'm sure you will. No, I'm not worried about that at all. <laughs> you know, finding ways to increase <laughs> revenue and grow that bottom line is so important. And it seems like the default way is just to increase sales, but you say that we could actually increase revenue without selling more. I mean, what other way is there? What are small business owners missing out on?
1: Yeah, look, here's the thing. This is one of those things that I unfortunately see at almost every single business that I've ever worked with. And um, it is, I call it the silent business killer. So there's several different ways, first of all, but the first one I want to talk about is the one that's most prevalent and the one that you can make Uh, the, the quickest transition to and the quickest implementation. And again, as I mentioned, the silent business killer. And what that is, is almost all businesses, unfortunately, have a product or service that they provide that is at best break even, but in most situations actually is losing them money. Now, the question becomes, you know, I get this often from clients. They'll say, well, Ken, why would I purposely have a product or service that was unprofitable. Well, that's the point of it being a silent business killer is that you don't realize it's there. Of course, you wouldn't purposely do that. And a lot of that surrounding that silent business killer is the, the pricing aspect of it. And no, I don't mean just, you know, oh, we'll just increase all your prices. No, I don't mean that. A lot of times, most a lot of business owners that are small business owners that are really good at the product or service they provide, so, you know, they're really good at plumbing or they're really good at whatever it may be, they're not as good sometimes um, on the business side of things and the financial side of things. So a lot of times I've found, unfortunately, is pricing for some things ends up being kind of on the back of a napkin, for lack of a better term. Um, very informal and not a lot of rigor around it in some situations. And so what happens is, you know, you end up with these products or services or maybe projects, right? Um, I had this with a client that I started working with. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. But they have these products. And guess what, Hannah? Because these things are priced so low, artificially low and at a loss, guess what happens with those products? They sell a lot of them. So think about that. that so the quick example is let's say you have a product and you charge $100 for it. But the product actually costs you $120 to, to, to give to the customer, to, to land with the customer, the product or service. So for every one of those that you're selling – you're actually losing money. You're you're running in quicksand. So this is what, what happens in this scenario, as you can imagine, is you may, for example, be an owner and see that your top line, your revenue, is growing and increasing, but you're losing money. And you're losing more of it. And you're like, gosh, this doesn't make any sense. It's just completely intuitively wrong that my revenue would be going up, but I would be losing money. And that's where, you know, if you have that scenario... In, in any shape or form, in any in any um, volume level, you know, this pr- you probably have that silent business killer lurking in the background. Um, I can give you real one real quick example. Is I had a client that I started to work with. They had earlier in the year before I started working with them bid on a large project, and this project was going to be about twenty percent of their annual revenue. So they wanted to get in on this project. They wanted to win the bid on the project, and it was with a large company. So the owner at the time was thinking, gosh, if I can get my foot in the door, do a great job on this project, gosh, I can get so much more business from this large company. Well, because of that, he bid very aggressively. And when we got to the end of the year, we found out that he had actually lost a significant amount of money on that job. And it wasn't that there were you know, significant changes to the project or you know a big hiccup that occurred. Things went mostly as expected, but it was priced too aggressively. So it ended up being a silent business killer that became quite loud uh, when I had to explain it to him <laughs> that, you know, this project that was a big project and a huge undertaking for them, you know, a, a lot of management, a lot of work that went into it, and they actually lost money for it. I mean, it was, he was just devastated. Um, and so that pricing model that, that comes in, especially in a scenario like that, is just critically, critically important.
0: So I can see how revenue goes up. You have more sales, but you don't have more profit because the pricing is off. But I thought somewhere I read in your materials that you could increase revenue without selling more. And here you really gave me examples of where you are selling more because the price just can't be beat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's really, it's more around, you're going to make more money. So you're going to profit more, not necessarily have higher revenue. It's, it's, you could have less sales. Think about it. If you just eliminate, if you had a project product that you were losing, you know, in that example I gave where it was hundred, you're charged hundred dollars and it was 120, you're actually losing 20% on every job. Think about if you didn't sell anything more, but you just eliminated the sales of that product that you're losing 20% on. All of a sudden, your margins go way up. You're not losing that twenty dollars on every every um, product or service of whatever that is that you're selling. So now, all of a sudden, it again, this sounds completely counterintuitive, but that's what this is what happens in this scenario. Is your your revenue actually goes down in this scenario, but your profits go up? And look, you know, revenues vanity, profits are sanity. Um, you know, you've probably heard that before. That's not a, not an original term by me, but at the end of the day, I mean, revenue is great, and as you said, a lot of owners get enamored with that, and they just want to push sales and more revenue, et cetera, which is clearly very important. But in this scenario, you can have less sales and stop selling these unprofitable products. And by the way, think of the slingshot and compound effect of no longer selling the unprofitable product and/or fixing the pricing and charging the appropriate amount. But let's say you just eliminate it. You say, "Gosh, we just can't produce this product or service." at a level that's profitable for us at a competitive price, so we're just going to eliminate it. And then you take your efforts, your sales efforts, and you push them towards your more profitable products and services. So think about the compound impact of that, of how you can shift to, you know, shifting your, your sales focus on those more profitable things. Oh, my gosh, the, the impact on that is just huge.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. So get rid of the losers is definitely one very important way that you can improve your profits. But there may be some listeners that are saying, well, okay, maybe I'm it's a loss leader, but people really like this product. That's what brings them to my store or to my website It's why they pick up the phone and call or text or however they reach out. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I really need to raise the price you know, to beyond my break, even once I calculate it, and perhaps with the help Mm -hmm. of someone such as yourself, because you like you said, you know, some people are really good at what they do, and not necessarily on the business or the numbers side of it. So, okay, they want to increase prices. Let's talk about that for a minute. The, The math would work, but they're afraid of losing customers. What tips do you have for helping them build their confidence so that they could have a more winning mindset to increase their revenue?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And is a, a common quandary as well in, in that, you know, in that scenario, the first thing I would suggest is, you know, once you, as you mentioned, once you do actually calculate a, a more accurate break-even point and then add on the margin that you need and you, 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 as your target margin for your, your company is look at that and then go out and mystery shop some of your closest competitors. And is it competitive? Because, again, in that scenario, in the example I gave earlier, you know, you're winning all this, the, these uh, customers because it's priced so low, because you're priced so much lower than competitors in that example. And maybe by increasing your price and getting it up to the target margin level that you want, you're actually fine. And you're actually now you're you're competitive with them in that, that you're not, you know, lower than them. You're, you're about, about the same or maybe a little bit higher. But I think that's a very important thing. The other thing you can do and when you're looking at this and is, is equally important is to really look at all the costs that go into that product. Because maybe if you've been selling and it's a high seller for you, you haven't really looked at ways that you might be able to reduce the cost base for that and therefore creating some margin on your own. Because, you know, again, in your head, this silent business killer is out there and it's performing well from a sales perspective. So you think everything's peachy keen. You don't really take a look at it. Take a really hard look at some of those costs. You know, maybe there's some raw materials that go into it that you know you haven't renegotiated with your vendor. And now that you're doing a higher volume with them, you may may be able to go back to them and say, "Gosh, you know, when I first drew up this contract with you, you know, I was paying whatever ten dollars per pound of raw material. But now with the volume I'm doing, you know, let's look at wh- what kind of price I could get on this. So if I know I'm going to do at least X volume with you, you know, could we do it at eight dollars? per per 10 pounds or whatever I said um, earlier and look at that cost base and see how much you can lower your cost base. And if you can do that, you create the margin without even having to raise your price in in that scenario. But really the discipline around this is super, super important because, and that client that I mentioned that had the the big project that they did very aggressively on and found out the end of the year, they actually lost a significant amount of money. You know, we implemented a pricing model for him to price projects. Um, that are above a certain threshold. And funny enough, Hannah, probably three or four months after we implemented it, um, he goes to bid on a project another they a large project and he comes back to me and he calls me kind of frantic and he said, gosh, I got to get this bid in. And I ran everything through the pricing model and it says I should try, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I'll make them up to, to illustrate. You know, it says I should charge $170,000 for this project. And I said, okay. And he said, well, what should I charge? I said, this, "Is this a trick question? Like, is there a candy camera on me? Like, you should charge 100. You should charge 170 thousand dollars." And he said, "But Ken, I don't think I'll win the bid if I do that." I said, "Okay, well, what's the alternative? What would you What would you say? What do you want to do?" He said, "Well, I think you know, if I charge like 150, I could probably win the bid." I said, "Okay, so at 150, and our margins are X, we're going to lose four thousand dollars on this job. Do You want to win a job where you lose four thousand dollars, or do you want to bid it at the target?" margin levels we want. And if you lose that job, it's okay. That's a form of getting rid of the losers, as you mentioned earlier, Hannah. And, and and that discipline is difficult, especially in this scenario, because this was another large company, another large local company to him. And his whole thinking again was, gosh, if I can get my foot in the door with them, I can get so much more business in the future. The problem with that thinking on the surface, on the macro level, that sounds very, very intuitive, right? Here's the problem. That large company, has leverage if they're a large local company they have leverage because they're large and a lot of people want to do business with them as well as the next time they they're going to reach out to you for a project they're going to expect pricing like the first time so even if you say gosh i'll just lose money on this first one and i'll just make up for on the rest that's probably not going to work because the second job they're going to expect similar pricing you're going to increase the price all of a sudden and they're going to say "Mm, we're good we're going to go with vendor b And then, so, you know, that loss you took on the initial ends up being a problem. So the two biggest things to do are, again, looking at your cost base, everything, every cost that goes into that particular product or service, are there ways that you can reduce that, renegotiate, et cetera. And then, you know, developing that pricing model and then you gotta stick to it. You really have to have the discipline to stick to it, no matter how much your your mind or your heartstrings might be tugging at you to say, gosh, let's, this is one time, because again, a lot of those things, especially in this scenario where, where it's not just just a product or service, it's a large project. Well, as you can imagine, a larger project has more moving parts, which means more potential for challenges, issues, et cetera. I mean, you know, they're more difficult to manage typically. So you're going to end up managing this large project that becomes a pain in your neck potentially and then losing money on it. It's just not not a good thing. And so, you know, in that scenario, when we got to the end of the year and I explained all that to him with the initial project that they'd lost money on. And I said, you know, imagine not having any of the headaches of that job and you would have put an extra $60,000 in your pocket. And he looked at me and he said, get out of my office. Like he jokingly said, get out of my office. Like, where were you when I was bidding this project?
0: (laughs) Well, not to mention, you know, there's with a large project, like you said, there's things that... Don't get anticipated that maybe fall outside the original scope and change orders need to be created. And so if they mm-hmm. don't take advantage of that opportunity to say, all right, this was bid based on X, Y, Z, and now we have L&M that suddenly came into that, that wasn't part of the original bargain. We need to have a chat. So, you know, and somebody let me. Let me, let
1: me- I'm sorry, Anna, just let me, let me follow up real quick. I want to, I want to close the loop on, on that second scenario I mentioned where the $170,000 project and he said, you know, he wanted to bid lower. And I said, you know, we got to stick to this 170. Well, he bid 170, did not win the bid. So he was kind of disappointed and probably honestly, he he wouldn't admit this, but he probably was a little, a little angry with me, right? Like, gosh, Ken was the one that cost me this contract, right? Here's what happened. Fast forward about 45 days. The customer called him frantic. And said, we need you to come and take over this project. And he said, well, why? I lost the bid. They said, yeah, we went with a cheaper bid. They started, they've completely screwed everything up, and they kind of pulled the plug on us. And they lost some workers, and so now they can't get it done in the time frame we need. We need you to come and take this over immediately. So we ended up essentially winning it in the end. And, and in this scenario, the, the lesson to that is you know, quality wins in the end. Um, It's not just the cheapest price, et cetera. So don't, you know, you had mentioned before, and one of the questions you asked, Hannah, was, you know, how do you have that, you know, be able to have the, you know, to to be able to be disciplined enough, I think, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but to to stick to your guns and be able to charge those things, the cheapest price in the long run isn't necessarily what's going to win from a customer or vendor perspective. So, you know, in this scenario, we ended up coming back in, being able to win the bid, and now we've done several projects with that vendor now, that customer, I should say, um. So it all turned out really well in the end.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that worked out for your client because one of my favorite sayings is the cheapest is not always the least expensive.
1: Right, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> you know, because it, it you winds up costing you in, in other ways. So you have to look at all of the costs, the direct, the indirect. And, and hopefully people who are listening realize that if they get into a competitive pricing situation, you have to find a way to distinguish yourself and it's not on price. That is a race to the bottom. Um, or as, yep. as Ken put points out, you know, you, you're going to slice the margin so thin, and that philosophy about I'll just get my foot in the door. These big companies are always doing competitive bids, and so you're you're not going to be in there and and have loyalty necessarily, not unless you have a a lot of track record with them and the person in purchasing who is doing it because the purchasing people are under tremendous pressure to cut costs of their product Mm -hmm. and what they're selling. So you really have to find a way to have that unique selling proposition that the salespeople always talk about and know what you're really good at and why you're better.
1: Right yeah and and and, the, and sometimes the answer honestly is a tough pill to swallow for for some owners because sometimes the answer ends up being unfortunately that maybe you just can't price a product or service at a competitive level, so you don't necessarily take it off the table, maybe you have to because if if it causes you know inventory changes and things like that, but it might be that because of whatever reason in your cost base. You know, the competitive price for a product is $100. You know, your competitors are right around, you know, plus or minus 10% of $100. And you got to charge 150 I mean, again, if it's not an inventory issue, you could keep it out there and say, look, if you're willing to pay $150, i will do the job, but I can't do it for less than that. Now, are you going to win much business from that? Probably not. But if you still want to honor it uh, or offer, it, I should say. But really, you know, sometimes you just got to cut things out, especially, you know, depending on the situation where, You know, again, maybe you have a brick and mortar retail and it's that, it's that product that you just can't offer at a competitive rate and you don't want to tie up inventory with it, et cetera, is you just cut that product and look for other ways, look at other products that, again, have a higher margin, uh, that you can make, you know, a a higher profit margin on, a higher net margin on, and, um, you know, take up inventory with that and not, not these things that are, you know, not going to sell if you charge a higher price, et cetera.
0: Exactly. Where in the spectrum do you want to be? And like you said, you know, inventory costs, carrying costs is is one of those things that a lot of times people don't take into account until they have no room for anything anymore. Yeah.
1: Well, and <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a kind of a simple example of that, it's a, it's a little bit of a tangent of what we're talking about, but I think it's you know it's it's relevant enough, and that is, I was working with a jewelry store, a single location jewelry store. And they had a picture store that has, you know, the glass cases, right? It looks, it looks all elegant and everything. And when I first started working with him, he had uh, 12 display cases and four of those cases. So, you know, a third of his display area in his retail location was a super low margin uh, product pr- or products. And so, you know, just changing the product mix and saying, you know, let's devote one case to that because it was something that was complementary to other things that he sold. It was just a low margin product. And rather than tie up a third of the display area with a super low margin, we used one case, and took the other uh, three cases and put higher margin products in that. Just making that simple change significantly changed the profit margin of overall. And it doesn't, again, tie up your space, your inventory, et cetera with these low margin projects, which again, just increases profitability significantly without even necessarily, you know, again, selling more.
0: Exactly. You put your finger on something, you know, something that was complementary. So, you know, you buy this and you get one of these to go with it and there's a bundled price. So mm-hmm. that would be another way to, to handle it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: What do you think are some mistakes that business owners make when in, engaging in a pricing conversation?
1: One of the things that you mentioned earlier, Hannah, is that, that you know, thinking that pricing is the end-all be-all. And as you said, I agree with you 100%. That's, you know, getting into, a, you know, kind of a price war, a price battle is just a race to the seller. Like it's, just, it's just a race to the bottom. That, in the long term, that is not going to do you well. That's one of the things I see most often. And I guess one of the other ones kind of I alluded to as well is it's, it's – I don't know if it's a, a – I wouldn't really say loyalty, but maybe a little bit of an ego thing of, again, as I mentioned, sometimes you have to just say, you know what, we, we're not going to offer that anymore. We just can't offer a competitive price. And oftentimes, you know, if a business owner has been in business for 10 or 12 years and always offered whatever that was, they go, okay, we have to. Well, no, you don't. You know, you don't necessarily have to. That's If it's hurting your business, why would you want to continue that? Um, and again, uh, that's the last resort, right? You want to look at ways to be able to keep that product or service available. Again, like I mentioned, looking at the cost base and other ways to renegotiate with some of the raw materials or whatever that might be, all those different things. But, you know, sometimes those those tough decisions um, are, are difficult for owners to make, especially as I mentioned, if it's been a long-term thing. And then the third thing is uh, along the uh, similar lines of being able to look at things and just being able to stick to the pricing right again like that project thing i mentioned of well gosh i don't think i'm going to win at 170000 let's 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 make it 150 again getting your foot in the door things like that those things just again that's a price war type of thing it doesn't lead to long term success but those three things even though i mentioned them before you mentioned one is those are difficult what i found for owners to really kind of swallow that pill sometimes because for whatever reason, they're just kind of stuck, maybe kind of stuck in old ways a little bit. And so it's difficult to wrap your mind around, well, how could we not offer that product anymore? It just doesn't make sense. We've always done that or whatever. Um, so I would say those are the, honestly the three biggest things. Um, the last one I'll mention is just what gets you into that mess of the silent business killer in the first place. And that's just not devoting, you know, enough attention and, or having an accurate, you know, way to price things. And and that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes people, again, just don't, they're really good at what they do. They just don't have enough of the background to be able to really dig in and get a fully loaded cost. You know, a lot of times people will, when I start working with a client, they'll quote, oh, well, my margins are X. And when we dig into it almost every single time, they're actually lower because they're not, they're not incorporating everything in. They're not incorporating all the costs. Oh, well, did did you put freight into this? Well, that's not a cost of the product. Yeah, but to deliver it to your customer, that's a cost of the, you know, of delivering that product. The landed cost includes all that. So things like that, I think those four things I would say are the biggest four sort of uh, challenges or issues I see that business owners run into with, with pricing.
0: Well, Ken, I appreciate your tips on what people can do to improve their margins. And if you're listening and you're ready to increase your bottom line, Ken's contact information can be found in the show notes at businessconfidentialradio.com, along with the link to his books and the Mr. Biz radio show. And if you know someone who wants to generate more profits and can't spend a whole lot more time on sales, tell them about Ken Wentworth, Mr. Biz, and this podcast episode. Share the link and leave a positive review so others can find out about it too. And you can do that on your podcast app or come on over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash confidential Because this is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and an even better tomorrow.